Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. And today on the podcast, I'm going to make another effort on the question of the the importance and complexity uh, of inflation for endowments and foundations. I talked about this topic a couple of months ago, uh, but I don't think I really did it justice at the time, so I'm I'm tackling it again. Um, but, but before I get into that, um, a word from our sponsor and, and the trivia question. <clears throat> this episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs, a fast-growing ETF shop, democratizing access to the most sophisticated alternative strategies. With diversifying strategies like market-neutral, equity-long-short, managed futures, and multi-strat quant, Simplify has a suite of compelling tools to help address the biggest concerns with the classic 60-40 portfolio. Check out their website at simplify.us. That's simplify.us. And you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. And now straight on into the trivia question. The question is, this is a very important question. Super, super important. So pay attention. What film was the first in American cinema to show a flushing toilet? That's right. What film was the first in American cinema to show a flushing toilet? Like I said, very important. We only only deal with the most important issues here on the Inflation Guy podcast. So back in episode 71, uh, I offered five simple ways that an endowment can improve its inflation allocation. And in parts of that uh podcast, I I think we're pretty good. Um, uh, Most endowments have an allocation to inflation-sensitive assets because their purpose is to support some cause like, you know, a hospital or uh, a college or something uh, whose whose costs tend to rise over time. And so that it's, you know, the liability is is fundamentally inflation-related. And and, uh, the endowment is built with the intention of perpetuity, so it sort of has to keep up with those costs. Uh, And a law called the Uniform Prudent Management of Institutional Funds Act, uh, also known as UPMIFA, guides investment decisions of the Endowments Investment Committee. Um, As a side note, the Uniform Prudent Management of Institutional Funds Act is neither uniform, being slightly different when it's enacted in many states, nor necessarily prudent, since the definition of prudent here is more shield than sword. It covers buts rather than being necessarily the best in terms of managing risks and rewards. But I digress. And anyway, back in, in episode 71, I didn't even mention BIFA. I gave five suggestions about how endowments can manage whatever they allocate to inflation-sensitive assets. And I sort of I sort of left to the side the the question of how they should think about that allocation in the first place. Um, and my five suggestions were to you know increase the size of the inflation allocation, make allocations tactical with a framework, and be smart about commodities allocations and 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 some other things. And and they were all useful suggestions that I discuss obviously in more depth in that episode. Um, but which. Each also deserves a deep dive on its own. But what I didn't address 
was was the question of what endowments really should care about vis-a-vis inflation. You know, not only the risk of it happening or being sustained, which I think is a fairly high risk, um, but that's obviously debatable, but also the complexity of the interplay between inflation and the asset liability mix. Um, so I, I kind of, you know, took, took for granted that uh, endowments have inflation allocations, but, and I said they should be larger, but I kind of left it at that. Um, and uh, so I want to talk about that today. Uh, what it really means, uh, essentially, is that two of the the seven factors for spending policy construction uh, under MIFA are intention. So there are seven different factors that you're supposed to take into account when setting policy construction. And uh, factor number four is, says that the committee should take into account the potential effects of inflation or deflation on the spending policy. And, uh, and number five says the committee target, the committee should target expected uh, total return and target a rate of return higher than the distribution rate. So question number four is, is essentially a risk reduction question. And question number four, five is about maximizing total return in real space. Now that's obviously it's kind of a normal tension. That's a, uh, that's a tension that's uniform. That's uh that's a, uh, uh, common to all investment, you know, the risk versus return, right? So which of these, you know, what, th- those are, those two are, are always in tension. The problem is that investment committees on endowments uh, should be thinking about this in real space, um, which would address both four and five consistently. Uh, but in practice, they think in nominal space, which ends up putting uh the you know, factor of four and factor of five in conflict. Uh, so, so that's that's sort of the fundamental problem, and I think that that is not necessarily well appreciated by these committees. So here's how it manifests. Okay, committees think in in these terms. They say, you know, we need to achieve some nominal return x, and x is equal to our spend. Uh, how much, you know, what percentage we want to pay, pay out every every uh, year, plus whatever we need to cover operational expenses of the endowment, plus inflation. And inflation is sort of an assumption there about the long run, um, you know, long run inflation. And so the way this actually manifests uh, often is that the committee kind of figures out what nominal return they, they think they can achieve in the long run you know, with some reasonable asset mix. They subtract expected inflation from that. They subtract the cost, you know, of the endowment, you know, but the cost of maintaining the endowment, of actually running the endowment. And then what's left is the spend. And um, and the problem is that as, over the last number of years, the expected returns to lots of different asset classes have gone down. So... So that the plausible, achievable nominal return number—that's that's kind of the starting point, right? Uh, the way they're doing it is, you know, they look at this nominal return and then they sort of subtract out expected inflation and then they get back to what what the sustainable spend is. Um, 
but the achievable nominal return number declined. Now, obviously, you know, so then, you know, if, if, if the achievable nominal return number for a given asset allocation declined, you know, a couple of different responses to that. One of them is you can take a riskier asset allocation. Um, you can, um, uh, you can try to restrain the cost growth of the endowment, but that, that tends to be exogenous and that's has tended to go the other way. Um, and, um, or you can decrease the spend. Um, and, and so, you know, as expected returns have gone down, the amount that endowments have been, you know, the, the, the spend, the animal, the annual rate that they've been taking out has been pressured and eventually it gets pressured so much that, you know, the endowments can't, can't put, give less or else they, you know, cease to be a useful endowment. And so the only other thing that can happen then, the only other thing they can do is they can sort of say, well, we can just, you know, instead of assuming, you know, 2.5% inflation or 3% inflation, why don't we assume 2% inflation? And so, you know, because then, again, you take your expected nominal return, you subtract that expected inflation, you know, subtract, subtract costs, and you get to the spend. So if I need to squeeze out a little bit more, I can just be a little bit more generous about my inflation assumption and get to the spend that I need. So we have you know, too many when, – when, when overall expected returns are poor, there are just too many pressures on this equation to have it work out very well. And you end up having to sort of you know, make uh, – either make some cavalier assumptions or take on more risk than you want um, or, or you know, get blood from a stone that's, that's just not there. Um, so, uh, by the way, hat tip to to one of my friends, who shall be remain nameless, who was formerly involved with an with an endowment, and sort of laid out um, for me kind of how this happens um, when, when we were talking about my prior episode. Anyway, this this approach is to put a, a fine a finer point on it. I guess it, it's all wrong, um, and it's dangerous because the long term inflation assumption should be going up, not down. Uh, if you if you keep spending and you treat this year's ex, you know excess inflation as sort of being a one off right so okay well gee it was we had a 7% inflation this year but we don't think it's going to be 7% for the next 30 years so we're going to continue to assume 2% and just assume that this is a one off you know we did some damage to the to our uh, uh, funding ratio this year the endowment cost went up by 7% or whatever, but that's just a one-time thing. If, if, you, if you treat that excess inflation as one-off, um, then eventually you're going to impair the, the principle of the, of the endowment uh, sufficiently that the endowment's mission is going to be threatened. Uh, if inflation is 3% annually, then, and you're assuming two, it takes a long time for that damage to happen. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of ignorable, and it's uh, and that's the approach that that some endowments take is that, you know, gee, this would it would sure be a lot easier if we just kind of assume that this inflation is truly transitory, and not just in the seven percent case, but you know it's going to go right back down to two, so we're just going to keep assuming two. Um, but the discrepancy actually. Uh, tends to compound. So if you 
assume 2% inflation, you get 3% annually. You do a tiny bit of damage, but in 23 years, you'll be 20% underfunded. But if you assume 2% inflation and you actually get 4% inflation, then you're going to be 20% underfunded in only 11 years. And if you get an inflation debacle and you have 8% inflation for four years, then you're 20% underfunded. So making an assumption that, you know, recognizing that that inflation happened and that it did damage, but assuming that going forward, it's not going to be any higher, um, is, is a really cavalier and dangerous assumption. So again, this has been caused by the, you know, declining expected nominal returns that lots of asset classes have been seeing. And that squeeze caused by those declining expected returns has an additional effect on inflation allocations because investment consultants typically work on the assumption that inflation-sensitive assets will, will have really low returns if there's low inflation because they're thinking in nominal space. And, and, uh, and so they'll hurt your nominal returns. So when you're thinking in nominal space, um, as endowments reach for higher uh, higher nominal returns, endowments also often find themselves downplaying the how important it is to have inflation-sensitive assets um, in the short and medium term. You know, they're essentially downplaying the primacy of the inflation goal because we need to have a 7% uh, nominal return. So it's not necessarily true that inflation-sensitive assets have you know, lower returns than other assets in low inflation environments. But the mistake anyway is is in goes back to the fact that this is all being done and thought of in nominal space. Now, I've talked about this before. Nominal space, it's the way we think. We've been brought up this way. Um, nobody thinks in real terms naturally. It, it's kind of a weird way to think. But in an investment, and, and well, I'll go even further, in some investment policies and some investment problems, thinking in nominal space, you can get away with it. But when you're talking about endowments and foundations, when you're talking about problems that are fundamentally real in nature, you you can't get away with that. You can't think in nominal space. It it creates it creates these problems when you can make the problems go away by thinking in the in the in the in the proper frame. So think about it this way. Let's set up, let's set up the problem differently. You're in endowment, and on the liability side, you have increases that are tied to a type of inflation that's specific to the environment, to the endowment. So for a college, the liability, which is, you know, what the endowment needs to do to provide the same real stream of benefits over time, right? So that's the endowment's goal, is we want to provide the same stream, of, you know, the same number of, of hours of college tuition, or uh, you know, support the same number of students over time, right? So, you know, in, in real terms, you want to provide the same real stream of benefits over time. And that liability grows at education inflation. So not headline, okay, but it grows at, at education inflation. On the asset side of the endowment, you know, that asset side grows at some real return that's associated with the asset mix, plus regular inflation, headline inflation, minus the cost of the administ of administration. Now, so you've got inflation, you've got education on the liability side, you have headline inflation on the right, on the uh, asset side. If education inflation equals headline inflation, 
Um, and we're going to assume away the costs of administration. We'll see. We'll say those also grow with headline inflation. Then those two inflations offset each other on the asset and liability side. So that if you have inflation-linked assets, they in real space grow at some positive real rate of return, and the liability grows at zero real return, and the two inflations offset. So assets grow at X plus inflation, liability grows at Y plus inflation. And so we don't we can throw away the inflation part. All right. That would be ideal if they were if they were perfectly matched. In reality, of course, the the inflation rate of the liability, in this case, education inflation, isn't the same as headline inflation. So there's an additional basis term. Education inflation is normally higher than headline inflation over time. And so let's suppose that it's exactly 2% higher. Then the asset side for this liability, or for this, uh, this endowment, the asset side is growing at real return X. And the liability side is growing at 2% plus headline inflation, okay? Because education inflation is 2% plus headline inflation. That's what the liability side is, is growing at, okay? So asset side, X plus headline inflation, liability side, 2% plus headline inflation, and therefore all we have to do is target a real return of X more than two. The assumption about inflation goes away because it cancels. Uh, now, we didn't necessarily. We didn't even say. We did not say there that education inflation and inflation and headline inflation are the same. We simply said that they have. A, they, they, there's a constant spread between them, and that's not quite true either. But the basis between those two is much less volatile than if we're looking at the asset side and, and looking at it in nominal space, whereas the liability side is an education space. All right, so that basis is manageable much less volatile. In, in practice, you know, those two sides, the asset and liability side, have different volatilities because they've got different uh, or different uh, volatilities of inflation because one of them is headline, the other one's education, and those behave somewhat differently. And they, you know, an imperfect correlation, but that's still the right formulation of the problem. Uh, the endowment's objective can be better phrased as saying, maximize real return over the required payout while minimizing the variance of the surplus, the difference between the assets and the liabilities. Okay, so we're still going back to maximizing return and minimizing risk. It's just that we have to phrase the risk in terms of the variance of the surplus. Now, because in this case, you know, the, the liability side has a very clear inflation beta, we, it's it's important to recognize that that if you're going to minimize that variance, that you need to induce the same kind of variance, inflation-related variance, on the asset side. In any event, that construction makes clear that maximizing nominal return isn't the right goal. Um, it also makes clear that a key objective is not just to get good performing assets that have some inflation linkage, but that the closer the inflation compensation is to the inflation we actually see on the liability side, the more it reduces the risk of the endowment and therefore the more desirable it is. So again, thinking about risk in context of what the liability looks like. 
because inflation isn't just one thing; it's complex. We talk about that all this time. Uh, we talk about that all the time on this podcast. Uh, every good and service has its own price escalation. Some of that is the true inflation of the general price level, but part of it is microeconomic stuff that make it make you know the inflation of a particular good or product, a good or service, move more or less than headline inflation. So you can sort of think about you know the inflation of automobiles as being the you know general increase in the price level plus or minus some basis. And so that's all we're doing here is we're saying education inflation is headline inflation plus or minus some basis. And that basis is much less volatile than overall inflation. A good solution uh, for the endowment is going to recognize that basis exposure and its volatility. A great solution will dampen that the risk of that spread because it makes the asset side behave more like you know, in this case, education inflation, and not just headline inflation. Uh, but still, you get you're, you're much better off if you can make your assets behave like headline inflation. So, in other words, the 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 answer isn't necess- is not necessarily just buy more tips. Although at two percent real yields, that ought to be very attractive. Um, but something that you know, if you had education tips, that would be sort of the the perfect risk reducing. Uh, solution. Anyway, so these are all things that endowments should be discussing, not just whether inflation is likely, um, because if you can get the inflation terms to drop out, you don't care if inflation is likely. More importantly are are these questions that endowments should ask. One, how much mismatch is there in the quantity of inflation beta we have on the asset side versus the quantity of inflation beta on the liability side? Usually the liability side is 100% beta. It, 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 it moves one for one with a change in the underlying um, rate of inflation uh, or the underlying price level for, you know, in this case, education or, or health care in, the, in the, the case of a, of a hospital. Um, are, are we being compensated for that mismatch? You know, there's a mismatch in, this, in the quantity of inflation beta. Are we being compensated for that? Um, and if we're not, can can it be easy, can we easily reduce that mismatch? And then second second question is how much mismatch is there between the type of inflation we're targeting on the asset side and the inflation we expect to see on the liability side? Can that risk be easily reduced? The answer there is not usually easily, but that's the question to ask. And then finally, the big question is how do we maximize the real return? Uh, of the asset side while minimizing the mismatches here of questions one and two. So in that context, the probability of inflation becomes a secondary consideration. The immunization of the portfolio from inflation takes equal position with the return of the portfolio above inflation. And so by thinking about the problem that way, the investment committee satisfies its fiduciary duty with respect to both the consideration of inflation requirement under UPMIFA and the real value of the endowment requirement, question five, in harmony rather than having them be necessarily intention. So that's all for today. I think that if you are on an endowment committee, that uh, that episode probably made a lot more sense than if you are not. But hopefully, uh, hopefully, if you were able to follow along, even if you weren't. 
Anyway, back to the top. The answer to the trivia question. The question was, again, the really important question. What film was the first in American cinema to show a flushing toilet? And the answer is a film well-known for other things. It was Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. So there you go. Next time you're at a cocktail party, that's a question you can drop and just, you know, stun and amaze people. Uh, okay. Oh, um, and as I wrap this up, I want to mention that we've rolled out a new website at Enduring Investments. We've been working on this for a while. I think it's a lot better than the other boring uh, website. So uh, take a look at it, EnduringInvestments.com, and, and uh, see what you think. That's all for today's podcast. Please like, refer others, subscribe. You can contact me at InflationGuy at EnduringInvestments.com. Subscribe for free to the blog at inflationguy.blog. Follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy. And again, visit that nice, fresh website, Enduring Investments, if you have an inflation challenge or even if you just want to see what it looks like. But most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.